So in the <coughs> Buddha's realization is all the suffering, stress that we experience um, <coughs> comes from not seeing things clearly or actually seeing things it's not just a matter of not seeing things but actually seeing things that aren't there um, so avijja is is like not really seeing not cl- no clarity but it's also um, seeing nonsense it's, it's seeing something that isn't really there not seeing what is there avijja ignorance so ignorance is much more than just an uh, an absence is also um, it generates presences it generates particularly the presence of permanence in what isn't permanent selfhood in what isn't self um, pleasurability in that which is not satisfying or fulfilling that's one way of looking at it <coughs> yeah, so the, the position of view seeing, clarity, these are all quite crucial. Um, view also is about a certain disposition or inclination. So view is both, you might say, um, to do with actual quality of clarity and um, the, it's also to do with a certain bias, biasing, the two go together because of a lack of clarity or, or narrowness of vision there occur particular biases asava or taints um, because of biases um, there, there's the perpetuation of a particular kind of limited view um, these biases are experienced uh, in terms that are Turb- turbulent that called outflows or sometimes called inflows there's a kind of flux and flow to them a, but they're, they're pressures and <coughs> they're, you can experience some certain pressures um, that become more apparent when one is um, just sitting still or in a place of silence and not doing very much you know, the, the pushing and the turbulence of these pressures the pressure to towards holding on to or acquiring or wrangling with sense objects the pressure, the inclination towards uh, being something or not being something and the (coughs) very pressure that we can experience as a kind of restrictive, obsessive viewpoint where one finds oneself kind of locked into into limited perspectives obsessed with, with, with problems um, only focusing on certain features of experience and not on others, only seeing certain aspects of people and not others. This uh, kind of limited, wind, narrow window that we see the world through. This often itself is is uh, stained glass. So you see things in pinks and greys and black and red. So are we jar not seeing things clearly? Fully. So, so the view. And <coughs> so Mara or the demon or Mara is really uh, a view rather than a, than the energies itself. 
<clears throat> so we feel the sense of passion or struggle or violence or despair or whatever it is the kind of power of that uh, conflicting experience and uh, uh, why it remains so obstinate is that we, we experience that and we think well maybe we shouldn't be like this we shouldn't be angry we shouldn't be passionate we shouldn't be this way so we, we take sides with the or we take issue with the energies and so therefore you're trying to kind of eliminate or calm or anesthetize or um, lop off bits <laughs> you know that seem obstructive yeah and so you're trying to you know, chill out or calm down or, or uh, you know, so, which, you know, certainly that's, uh, yeah, that's, that can be seen as part of it. But to take, take this too far, it means you, you, you enter a kind of a place where the vitality goes, or the um, alertness goes, when kind of dumbs down, and miss the point. The point is is not cutting bits off or entering into conflict, but eliminating the view. Mara is a view. Mm. So the view manifests as a self-view put it another way it manifests as a kind of split this is me that's that so that's how the that's how the self-view as a view manifests it views as it manifests as a kind of split between myself and something else and internally this is me fighting my mind this is me with my problems, this is me with my enemies, this is me with the past, this is me with what I should be. So you, you can sometimes when you're in meditation you begin to, these things become more more clear, ex- experienced, here am I, and yet somehow there's also, I'm being overwhelmed by something else. Mm. We well, call it, we can call the other thing my, myself, but Actually, what's experienced is a kind of split um, in which one part of what seems to be me is struggling against another part that seems to be me. Mm. You know, there's my aspirations and wanting to, to be a good person and there's this kind of um, strange, distorted, distressing stuff that doesn't seem to be able to come into under under control or calm down so that then then what happens is one starts to fight with it and as we fight with it we get the position in the demon appears mm. you lock horns and the horns as you lock the horns appear <laughs> you know, so you get the sense of uh, Mara crystallizes into a form almost through through the relationship 
that occurs around this split. You know, so rather than healing the split, we take the split as more and more fundamental, and then um, operate from that basis. So there's me and my defilements, and I'm going to wipe them out. You know, I don't necessarily think this way, but in terms of energies, this is what seems to happen. Uh, and occasionally, time to time, you know, one may kind of be able to get the upper hand, uh, as in any wrestling match. But a very common paradigm is the sense of being overwhelmed either by the the uh, the nature of these obstructive energies or just overwhelmed at the seeming amount of effort one has to put in in order to to overcome them you know like I managed after to, uh, 10 days of solid work managed to get a bit of peace and quiet wow was it was it do I really want to do that if I could do this rest of my life you know keep fighting and battling stuff down I get tired and uh, is, is it no, is it really worth it? <laughs> you know, and how long is it going to go on for? Because the, the split isn't really healed in that in that way. Demons or hindrances, depending on which how you want to characterise it, you know, are really energies that haven't been properly assimilated. Yeah. they haven't been properly found a place to be assimilated in, into a, into a whole wholeness of being and it you know so really this is what uh, uh, is to be recommended somehow touching the, de- the devil the demons and in a particular way that allows their energy to be transmuted or to be assimilated. Mm. As I was suggesting the other evening, you know, to dwell upon that, um, the demons have to be touched quite clearly, steadily, firmly, but, but lightly. A certain non-tension, a certain uh, non-conflict, certain sense of quality of some um, balance so one doesn't get into a, a, a kind of horn locking locking experience because the locking experience the tension of that is what creates further splits mm. So the kind of pressure actually is what splits, causes the splits. So then what, what can occur is one one sense of practice begins to div- split up into, uh, you know, well, uh, today I don't feel strong enough to practice. So there's me and my practice. That starts to split. Mm. So you get... Because in a way, one see what happens. So that you know, when it's, first of all, one maybe is is 
get the split between my, my good self and my bad self and then my good self starts to, to split as well when you try and make it use it in the wrong way put a lot of pressure on it to overcome and then eventually well I can't, you know, my good self is my, it starts to, to split that is one begins to get a sense of, of doubt about one's self and so you, know, you start to review your, your good self becomes something other than what you are and you can only be on certain days so we can call this well you know my samadhi isn't strong enough or my panya faculty isn't developed however you recall it but we begin to in a way get a sense of there's me and my enlightenment factors me and my good side me and my practice and the split occurs between me and my practice as well as me, my practice and my hindrances you know, so, and it keeps going like that because actually that's the nature of the kind of of the, the pressure that builds up around self view or how self or how pressure establishes self view so it's this, this conundrum and the more that we try using that from that viewpoint the more liable we are to actually uh, not just handle, touch, get in touch with that but, but force it and cause this splitting to occur and it doesn't mean there's no effort and no energy and no application it means there's a certain kind of application which is to be present to be mindful, we might say, to mindful of some full awareness, to um, you know, to develop that quality of clarity and present moment and attention into your body and so forth. But the the, the fighting or the um, however that occurs, the complaining, and you, we sense it as as a kind of you being present with something, and after all, something's not to snag. And then, you know, it's, it's actually what's occurred is one has not really been present with it. One has started to, to think about it. Or um, doubt. The doubt is often the beginning of it. You're present with something. Do I have to do that? And then something kind of starts to move away from that. We start to leave ourselves. Or leave, leave that experience. Something sort of moves away from it. How long is this going to go on for? We've moved away. How well am I doing? We've moved away. And with that moving away, I've moved away. Yeah. And so the split begins there. And then, God, this is, this is really hard work. So, you know, we, something step back and is, and is reviewing in that particular way. So in a way we, we've lost the immediate touch. We're now conceiving of the touch or conceiving of handling or conceiving of practice or speculating about it. You know, it starts off with a perceptual shift goes into a conceiving and conceiving turns into a view. The view, I, myself, this is myself.
So there's a kind of effort that's about deliberately uh, holding or touching or being present with, or if you like, put it another way, receiving. Yeah. And this this quality of attention is actually um, rather rare in a way, you know, because um, most of the time people's attention is conditioned by these biases and outflows. We're living with it all the time. So we've lost contact with just the kind of, if you like, the innocence of, I don't know, it's like that. It's just, mm -hmm. (laughs) There's always, you know, uh, an attitudinal value judgment or whether I want to be this to be this way or what is, you know, something going on like that. Yeah, there's a tendency to pull away either in order to store something up or to get rid of it. And just to be with things in a kind of innocent way, innocence with the devil. Not so much why is it this way, or what is it, or why am I this, or when will I be that, but just going into the how it is. How does it actually, what's actually operating? How is it? Feeling it, sensing it. The training in in attention is... is, um, twofold and so first of all we use a practice like Anapanasati is a useful template for practice and we're going to a very a full awareness of an object as a process So and this means you kind of widening, amplifying attention. So it's not just the grabbing, but a bit which in fact splits, you know, our experience into this bit. And we're actually contemplating experience as it wells up and fades out. See, with the wholeness of experience. So the, the first is when we get to establish the right posture so that you can actually breathe in the full sense of the word so it's not just a little sigh in the top of the lungs but the full the full breath and then extending attention to the long breath it means just notice how 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 long does it go on for how extended is it is it finished yet is it really finished is it nearly finished just to the complete ending of it and then where does it begin and then when you're breathing in, where the in-breath actually does by itself conclude or terminate or, you know. And uh, so this widening attention in that way. So there's that, there's like a very full giving of attention. Um, so that, that, that for a start, the object itself isn't something only we're only partly with. 
and then we move away to something else but we're fully with it even when it begins to fade and wane so that that so if you look at the um, that section of teachings you see that really it's about widening attention and making it uh, exercising it it's not established upon a particular point or constriction of awareness but letting attention fully take in the complete length of a breath and then as it calms down just the the, the the shortness of the when the breathing becomes short being with that and then again opening attention over the whole body and then again letting it calm down again and so those those go in sequence actually so you get the sense of really opening up fully that allows things to settle and then things becomes quiet and subdued open up again completely and let things settle so the, the long breath followed by the short and the whole body followed by calming calming the bodily energy mm. so what's happened is there's a kind of expansion to to embrace all and as you do that it doesn't then blow up but actually the whole thing settles and calms down yeah. So your breathing doesn't, you know, it's not that like you've suppressed it to make it shorter, but because it's, your attention has fully embraced all of it, there's something that's been assimilated. Um, and things then settle. So when you, and then so then through the whole body, as, it, as your awareness extends to the whole body, it doesn't mean that your awareness then uh, scatters into bits running after your toes and bits running out into your ears and it doesn't sort of break up it actually becomes whole and as it becomes whole it's, something seems to be resolved and it settles again and we begin to perhaps intuit that why things seem so broken up in us so bits over here, bits over there and, and in that scenario things are never settled there's always something running off in one direction or another, something fighting, something struggling, something not being present, one part of your body kind of caving in and collapsing and going numb, another part really feels tight and stretched. Why why is there so much imbalance? Because actually one's attention is so narrow and so ungiving. And, And so that when you open that, rather than, you know, become scattered into all the... Uh, varieties and the differences the quality of that of that of that um, extension of, of awareness has a healing effect things feel whole and complete and they settle down it becomes unified Uh, 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 an attitude that can occur with either bodily or emotional psychological difficulties is we, we 
We experience something tangled up or tight or fighting or struggling, you know, and then we zoom in on it. What's that? And you grip it, we grip it, and then we try to kind of make it different or how am I going to work this, how am I going to change? This is that sense of, of locking. And the very, you know, the attitude maybe of, starts out at least trying to resolve something. When attention functions in that way, it has a tightening effect. So as you, you tighten around the tightness, and it gets tighter. Um, we focus on the problem, it becomes more problematic. Um, hmm? But then it isn't, well, you know, going somewhere else either. Like let's just sideline all that and, and go to off somewhere else. Um, either physically or mentally or emotionally. It's not about dropping one bit. It's about seeing that bit as part of a whole thing. Yeah, so you get the whole quality of attention. And then, so around every, every struggle, every tension, you come to the edge of it and you find somewhere there's a place where it isn't like that. And when you're doing this in your body, so you may feel a kind of knot in your diaphragm, chest. You feel somewhere up, somewhere. It feels that there is an end to that. It's not there. So you more or less stay at that borderline. And um, so just bringing attention to the, to the edge rather than into the center of something and having uh, an attitude of opening, um, allowing space, means that your energies are then moving in a different direction instead of tightening up their their opening up and you find that some of that tension can find a place to release itself it's quite you know in terms of the body it's quite easy to to conceive and map these things out because when it's such a so much easier to experience the body as 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 there as an object rather than me Similarly, but similarly it's the case uh, as we become more objective about the, the wrangles and the struggles and the uh, disappointments and so forth of the, of the heart. The good bit, so as we, in bodily terms we can Try to find the place where there's this flow, where the energy feels free, it feels okay, you know. And as you, one of the uh, senses of, of developing this extended attention over a whole breath is you begin to be able to tap into energies that are less powerful and, and gripping, you know. So you come to the fading patterns and the subtle patterns of it. So you, you can see beyond the immediate high points of the breathing, there are the kind of slow descents and the gentle suffusions and even after the your your muscles have stopped doing the breathing there's a kind of slight flush of energies rush moving around. So you, you get the sense of being aware of subtler effects. And it's in that subtle peripheral bit and touching that is where you get the feeling of something like joy, ease. It's innocent. It's not. It's not 
um, configured. It's not something we we've got all kinds of stuff going on. In um, I might say mental or psychological terms, then it, again it tends to be the the big issues, the uh, big problems, uh, or that that grab the centre stage. So one doesn't notice the non-problem, the okayness, the yeah, it's another day, you know, all right. It doesn't grab centre. And uh, one can consider and reflect sometimes about how even on a, a kind of social or con- external level, you know, when we're doing a retreat, we're actually living in a place of, of great um, generosity, <coughs> a lot of benevolence, unassailed, unattacked, supported, looked after, regarded with kindness, um, people living with precepts and virtuously and living under restraint and so forth. Um, Buddha Dharma, you know, there's all this stuff. And that disappears. Or remains just a kind of notional concept. What grabs centre stage is, you know, the so-and-so didn't do the washing up yesterday or he turns up late or something, you know, becomes central. And it is not to to just kind of completely airbrush this stuff out, because actually the stuff that snags is not something we feel ashamed of. So there's something in this that's really potent, but it's it's caught up in a way where it's become configured. It's become a de- it's become a devil, because it's split off. The energies in that have split off and become a person, or an event, or a topic. You know, so this this topic or this event, whatever one's topics or events are, you know, the thinginess of them is actually the energies have got kind of encapsulated by a topic or a person or a behaviour. You know, you know, like untidy people drive me nuts. Why can't he? You know, everybody knows it. You know, it should be this way. Whatever one's issue is, you know. And we've probably got a few of those. And so, that, what's in that? There's power, there's, there's frustration, there's irritation, there's being overwhelmed. There's, wow, there's a lot in that thing. And though we may actually poo-poo the issue as, oh, you know, so what? Big deal, it doesn't really matter. You know, um, you know about seniority or whatever it is. These things, actually, you know, no, no don't forget it, because in that, in that little demon we found, it's got a lot of lot of energy in there, a lot of life in there. If you could actually unpeel it, then that stuff, that energy would be available, could be assimilated. So one shouldn't just kind of, um, in my opinion, to suppress or sideline these issues, nor <laughs> nor be convinced by them, but uh, have insight into them.
This is what uh, investig- investigation is about. Not into the who or the what, but the how. You know, the the textures of things. Is the the fire, um, the the felt meanings of things. This is the sense of the grief or the rage or the overwhelmed or the um, I don't count being dismissed or being pushed down those kinds of things you begin to touch into those you can find just particular senses come up always never (laughs) are words that come out of that and that's the casing one of the cases one of the skins around the demon is always never you know, that, that hope makes it permanent. Mm-hmm. Another one is him, her, them, you know, women, men, monks, lay people, whatever, whatever, you know, some kind of self comes up, either a particular individual or a group. So that's another one, another skin that gets wrapped around it. There's a demon walking around, taking up tremendous amounts of one's time and energy demanding a huge amount of feeding and causing no end of ruckus and trouble now when we clash with it then uh, the demon actually drinks that energy in you know, it gets a little more energy going oh look I'm really important look how much energy is giving me give me all your despair all your frustration, all your this, that and the other. Yeah, please, great. I like that. But if we um, see the demon in perspective, first of all, it's, it comes and goes and changes, it's dependently arisen. And we, uh, particularly if we've lodged it onto a, a person or a situation, you see, wait a minute, you know, and you, you see past the the image you've created of the person, and so you sometimes deliberately reflecting on people you find you're irritated with. Consider them as as children. Consider they were children. You know, consider them as ill. They will be ill. You know, does does your does that help to sh- does that how does that affect your sense of of, of irritation? Or you see them, imagine them sleeping or imagine them, notice the good that they do. So you begin to see, you widen your attention beyond the particular fixation that the demon is made out of. And so you're not denying the demon, you're seeing actually the demon isn't really that person out there. The demon is created out of particular energies in my mind that have located certain behaviours, and out of the two, the dependent arising of this, uh, of this figure. And sometimes, of course, the demon is, is, my, is myself. Certain behaviours, certain things that I haven't actually been able to, to come to terms with or, or befriend or practice with are split off. And I see myself as that. So then I have to remember, wait a minute, you know, you do, you keep the precepts, you're living a living life with no violence, you're living on a harm's food. You're not that bad, are you? 
So you're getting the wider picture of it. So in terms of body and in terms of mind, in brief, one has to touch into the to the the good place or the easy place or the okay place or the stressless place or the joyful place outside of the behind the conflict. This is what, in a way, what refuge is about as a basic introduction. You know, no matter how stupid, moronic, bestial you are, you think you are. Here's a place where you can just take refuge. You know, there's a, a gift there, isn't there? You don't have to deserve it or be good enough for it. You, know? you don't have to come in with your with your credentials. It's a refuge place. And the encouragement to reflect upon and generate and be in touch with uh, one's goodness. So these give a certain sense of uplift. Mm. Buddha Nusati. And so give you a sense of uplift. In meditation, formal meditation anyway, the, one of the bases to touch in is a place of uplift, pity, joy can be just the feeling of ease, okayness, a uh, certain zestfulness, a certain, it can be something that's not rapturous, but certainly uplifted. Just touching in with that, here's that place. Then, whatever the depressed or the obsessed is, just to, to be able to touch into the, the joyful, or the loving, or the gracious. So certainly, you know, in terms of something like Anapanasati, just that particular small picture of meditation, which is a microcosm in a way, then the ease of the breathing out, the ease of the of the way that the breath happens. And this is first with just a kind of subtle background thing. And then something you just kind of have to in a way extend your attention also extend your awareness extend your sense of what's really important is often not what's on the center but what's on the edges you know, what happens when that wrangling thought just slows or stops for a moment and we don't notice that okay and if you dwell in that, then you, that, you, that amplifies it. And that what's peripheral becomes something you recognize as a kind of, as really the, the big picture. So in, in the development of Anapanasati, in that particular map, you have the bodily sense and then what we call the the chitta sense or the heart sense or the psychological sense touching into the joyful touching into the ease where the ease is if it's momentary or developing extending it it may be something that's induced by by the body bodily calm can be that's part of it it can be induced by mental 
um, agility as your mind gets fresher and brighter and more dexterous and the two come together you get this stronger sense of it and uh, then you know um, being fully sensitive to this to the citta sankhara which is the whole formative tendencies of the mind the, the bubbling vitality of it the emotional emotive resonances of it so again you're kind of opening up that and then Pasambaya, calming it. Uh, again, this can be, uh, we start off with being able to touch into the good place because if we may very well quite reasonably consider, you know, if I opened up to all what's going on in my mind, it's just like bedlam, you know. Uh, can I really open up this can of worms? I mean, you know, so and and true. You you don't just go into all the all the darkness and dredge it up, all the emotions and thoughts and feelings we have and dredge them up. You you touch into the place of the good, the easeful, expansive, and then from that place, opening up starts to occur. Yeah. So just just by the fact one's got the bigger picture, it's like you you've got outside of the the boundary of of the uh, of the way our minds are held, where mind is held, it's particular kind of repetitive and compulsive stuff. You come outside of that to a place which is the free place or the easeful place, and just coming out of that means that the skin starts to unpeel. You don't have to be in that. You don't have to be in all that churning. You don't have to take issue with that stuff. You don't have to solve it or sort it. All that is taking you into it. Just come to outside it, but not ignoring it or evading it, but just the wider sense. And staying there, in touch with that whatever, you know, energies that can be demonic or, you know, troubled or whatever, selfed. You know, this is my myself. Here I am with my stuff and the things that I recognize as me, these habitual energies, which if they're not handled, do become demonic. And now I'm coming outside of that. My awareness is extending outside of that to things that are not important, not a big deal not mine they're just in the atmosphere if you like and that allows that uh, the skin of the self to to dissolve and so then this assimilation begins to take place Rather, as with the um, the long breath, as you as you extend over the wholeness of it, it calms down. If you extend over the wholeness of the mind, it calms down. And it's really a point is to to understand what the wholeness is. It isn't the wholeness of the of the problem? 
you know, it's the, it's the wholeness that beyond beyond the problem. So, and then it's a kind of we might say, using another language, it's almost the sense of of in the in a in a resonant sense, emotional sense of holding with great compassion or great love the forces of conflict, and not trying to fix them or solve them or squash them or poo-poo them. Holding them with great compassion and great love. Maybe that language helps. And then there can be a kind of a, oh, a sigh of some sort. And it's as if that, that terrific inner split relaxes. And uh, things come together, and there's a kind of way in which we haven't given up on ourselves, we haven't walked out on ourselves, we haven't shut bits of ourselves down, we haven't dismissed bits, we've actually allowed those um, seemingly cantankerous energies to be met and they find a place where they can find their proper place to to flow and then they're no longer uptight and cantankerous and uh, struggling and um, suppressed and you know, whatever it is Pasambaya, I mean, there's a sense of the, this quality of, of calm, which isn't through anesthetics. what's called um, insight process, that's the process which is to do with um, you know, calming resolution in that sense the insight practices have the same kind of overall effect but they, they refer more to particular views themselves so with the samatha practice you're dealing more with the, the energies you know, so using that kind of reference, the energies and then ways to open, receive, soften, hold properly. With insight practices, you're dealing more with the very view. And actually, they're, they're more fundamental because the energies really go where the view is. The view is, is what drives those energies. The view is the fundament. And the view is one of uh, associated with substan- uh, permanence and selfhood. So with insight you begin with contemplating the, the, the change of everything, the impermanence, the flow of things, so that ameliorates this stuck, looking either being stuck or looking to stick. So obviously we don't want to get stuck in the bad place, but we do want to get stuck in the good place. And uh, for insight, you have to give up the good place and the bad place as places to get moored in. As long as one wants to stick in a good place, you'll end up sticking (laughs) in a bad place because that's what sticking does, it splits. Mm. 
but we can flow through the good and the bad. It can be that, because that's what they actually do. So this is, you know, then dispassion, viraga, is um, being more, um, less emotional weight being thrown into the, into the, the good and the bad. Less of that emotional tilting around it. See it for these behaviours and these feeling tones as behaviours and feeling tones, not as self, as mine, which is where that called biasing uh, is 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 um, sanctified or justified. So these are the two um, themes you know, we, we develop in, in terms of insight, which is very much more about the view. Noticing when you dislike someone, because you don't dislike them continually every moment of the day. You only dislike certain things. So you notice that kind of wave of irritation come up and then stay with it and then passes. And it's associated with particular behaviours or even particular responses to behaviours. So for the untrained or uncultivated mind, those particular behaviours... (coughs) on an external level are what fix on and then conceit occurs which means you conceive you give birth if you like you generate a person out of two or three behaviours that's her, him, them you know those that's it you know and you, you kind of create a little being out of out of what out of something that's really vast. I know her. She's on this kind of trip. That's that's all she is. <laughs> she's got a little nasty being out of a whole vast potential. And, or oneself, of course. Mm-hmm. One does it internally, externally. And the uh, um, the sobering thing is, as long as we do it to other people, we're certainly going to do it. To ourselves, you know, as much if not more misery for oneself. But the ending of conceit means you, then the view: this is self, this is myself, this is his self. That doesn't have to take. You don't have to solidify that. You don't make a demon three D and get them walking around. Both the behaviours that, that we find difficult or obstructive in ourselves or others are subject to change. Um, the, the, even the degree to which we are provoked or disturbed by them is subject to change. But the underlying you know, hinge pin of it all 
is why why are they why do they seem to be so sticky and so established because this is the self-seeking instinct something wants to build something have positions not be open because being open is present and I can't get out of it you know I can't leave it I can't toddle off somewhere else I've got to be fully present and that means I'm giving up but it's in the beauty of that the real relinquishment which in fact is the whole fulfillment of the path the, the not just the wish to but the ability to relinquish which you gradually develop in these little in these ways small ways the ability the ability to relinquish one's self one's sense of being separate one's ability to absent oneself is where we some the awareness opens into the, the fullness and we begin to pick up certain effects that first of all we didn't perceive because from a narrow point of view you know you've got this kind of little self world which isn't that great but it's something and it you know I suppose I've got a few and if I work hard enough I can get a few little tokens and pleasure things the enjoyable bits in it and some crud, crud in it as well but never mind if I work hard enough I can keep focusing on that I don't want to give this bit up you know because it's a self he doesn't understand as something vaster than that. So it has to be informed, and it's informed first of all, it's my experience of change and impermanence. What's it like when something actually, you know, with something as it fades, does something kind of feel fresh and... Uh, bright with that awakeness mm. outside of the periphery outside of the boundary that's the, uh, the reference that we touch into um, with insight It's called signless, um, hungerless or desireless, empty. Selfless. But it is to, in no uncertain terms, the Buddha said this is the highest happiness.